You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. Well, last week, we, um, Dave mentioned we celebrated our five-year anniversary, which is great and amazing. It's good. We got to celebrate the faithfulness of God in the past, um, but we're looking ahead knowing that if God did it then, He can do it again. But we also understand that God doesn't always do the same thing the same way. And so as we move forward in the future, we're ready to innovate as a church. We're, we're ready to do whatever it takes to see people raised to life in Christ. Uh, but last year we celebrated our five-year anniversary. But, you know, before we launched The Rising five years ago, and before I became the pastor of this church, I was actually a student ministry pastor uh, at another church. I was there for seven years, and it was my job to oversee our, our high school and middle school ministry. And uh, the way that I did that was I empowered and equipped and invested in caring adults so that they could empower and equip and invest in the students that were in our church. See, see, I just knew that I could only accomplish so much myself, so I need to extend myself to others so that they could reach more students. And so that's what I did. And one of the things that I did when every adult came on board onto our team is I did an onboarding process. So I'd meet up with them one-on-one, and I'd talk to them about the values that we had as a church, uh, and, and I'd talk to them about the vision of our student ministry, and we'd also go over some procedures and guidelines that we had in our student ministry. And uh, one of the things that I told all of the adult leaders who came onto our team was that we want to make sure that we live above reproach in our interaction with students. And so what that means is that we want to set healthy boundaries with teenagers. So as an adult leader, uh, you should not kiss teenage students or touch teenage students in an inappropriate way or even hug teenage students because that would just be weird. And we don't want to be weird. So I let them know these guidelines uh, every time they came onto the team. Again, I just wanted to make sure we had a safe and above reproach ministry for our students. And um, I remember the day when I was standing in the lobby of our church and uh, one of the guys on staff came up to me, and he was my boss at the time. He came up to me and he said, hey, uh, this person, he told me who it was, told me that they saw one of your adult leaders hugging a, a female teenage student. And, and apparently the hug wasn't a side hug. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's like a, hey, what's up kind of hug. It wasn't that kind of hug. And it wasn't like um, a, a one tap and go hug, right? You know what I'm saying? Hey, what's up? And that's it. You know, that, there's that hug. But apparently the hug was a, hey, how are you, kind of hug. And when I heard that, I was blown away. I was, I was livid because I couldn't believe that one of my adult leaders in our student ministry was hugging a teenage girl right there in the lobby in front of everybody. I mean, don't do it anywhere, but especially right there in the lobby in front of everybody. So the guy on staff, he, he told me this, and, um, and I said, hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to handle it. I'm going to make sure this never happens again. So that day I went over to the leader in my ministry, and I told him, I said, um, hey, this person on staff, I told him who it was. 
told me that this person, I told him who it was, because I always tell people who it is. I, I, I don't do the anonymity thing, because then it's like, well, well who said that, and I don't know, and so I, I want to give you a context of who's saying what, so you can gauge if it's worthwhile or not. A anyway, I told him, uh, hey, this person told me that this person told him uh, that you were hugging on this teenage girl in, in the lobby um, this morning, and uh, I just wanted to remind you that that's unacceptable, like, as a leader in our student ministry, you can't hug teenage girls like that. I mean, we went over that in the onboarding process. I told you those were one of our guidelines, and it's inappropriate, and it can't happen again. And if you do it again, you can't be in this student ministry. Do you understand? I mean, I told him firmly, this is unacceptable. And he heard me, he listened to me, and he looked at me dumbfounded. And he responded by saying, yeah, yeah, I understand. But she was my niece. Oh. Oh, got it. Oh, man. I am. I didn't know. I didn't know. And of course I didn't know. Because I didn't ask. Of course I didn't know. Because I just jumped to conclusions. So what ended up happening at the end of that conversation is, is I had a leader who was upset with me, and I had to apologize, and I ended up looking stupid because I jumped to a false conclusion. The phrase for that is, I had egg on my face. Let me ask you, have you ever walked around with an omelet on your face? Have you ever jumped to a false conclusion? You heard something, somebody texted you something, you saw a post about something, you, 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 you misinterpreted a situation, so you jumped to a conclusion, you confronted somebody, and you ended up having egg on your face. Have you ever looked stupid like that? And the reason why that happens is because we choose to refuse to believe the best. We're in this series right now called Become Greater, and uh, as a church, we've become obsessed with this, this phrase, become greater, because our, our goal and our desire is to help people become greater. That, that, that's what we want you to do, uh, is become greater, because I believe that's what you want to do. I mean, e each and every one of us, we want to become greater. We want to become greater people. We want to become greater husbands and wives and, 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 and moms and dads. We want to become greater friends. Like, in everything we do, we want to become greater. And so as a church, we want to come alongside you and say, hey, we know the way to help you become greater. And one of the ways that, that we become greater as people and as a church is by living out the guiding values that we have as a church. You can actually see all of them over here on these banners if you're interested in that. But we said if we can come alongside one another and help each other live out these guiding values, then we will become greater as a church. And these guiding values that we have as a church aren't just values that we have, like, for our organization. Like, like we're not saying, hey, if you want to be part of the organization, live out these values. But these are values that we have uh, for you to adopt and embrace as an individual. Because I just believe that when you believe the best, you'll become greater. And, and here's the deal. If we're going to be the church God has called us to be, see, the church isn't some organization, but the church is the people. And so if we're going to be the church God has called us to be, then as people, we adopt and embrace these values and live them out. And then that will create the culture that we're longing for as a church so that when people come to experience God in a fresh new way, they'll see, oh, there's something different about this church. Because we embrace these values and they'll realize, oh, this is a church where I can become greater. And so throughout this series, we're, we're talking about our values. And today, the value that we're talking about is believe the best. And um, 
This is the value that over and over again as I talk with people, this is the, the number one value that people say um, is hard for them to live out. Like out of all the six values we have, this is the number one value that's most difficult for people to live out. But it's the one value I knew we needed to have as a church from day one. See, I, I remember when I first made the decision to, to go into a full-time ministry as a career, right? Now, by the way, I just want to let you know, if you're a Christian, you're in full-time ministry. Like, the moment you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to being in full-time ministry. See, if you're a Christian, God has not saved you so you could simply sit in a seat and wait for heaven to come, but God has saved you so that you could engage in a ministry that he's called you to, to live beyond yourself and make a difference. So... For everyone who's a Christian here, God has called you to full-time ministry. The truth is, if you're a Christian in this church, you're on staff. Like, you might not get paid for it and might not have a 401k or get any benefits from it, but you're on staff. You're in full-time ministry. And the question is, are you, are you engaging in that or are you simply sitting on the sidelines? Because th this isn't about you, you got to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a ministry leader or whatever it is. As a Christian, God has called you to full-time ministry because he's given you some gifts, abilities, and talents to use to make a difference in the lives of other people. He's given you some things that you can do within the local church in his body to make a difference. And the question is, are you embracing that or are you simply sitting? God, God has called you to a ministry of, of generosity, and so as a Christian, when you said yes to Jesus, you said, Jesus, I want to become more like my heavenly father. And God is the epitome of generosity. And so because I want to become more like my heavenly father, I'm going to give. And when I give, I focus on not just building my kingdom, but I focus on building God's kingdom. So you have a ministry that God has called you to. Are you engaging in it? When you became a Christian, you said yes to being a bringer. You said, Jesus, I got some hope now. I've found where life is, and i got to share this with other people. And the question is, are you doing that? Are you making the most of every opportunity you have to say, hey, I found some hope in my life. you got to come and see this Jesus I've met. You've been called to full-time ministry. You're an evangelist. As a Christian, you've been called to full-time ministry to build relationships with people, to interact with people, to connect with people. I wonder, have you done that by joining a group? See, as a church, we want to provide all sorts of different ways for you to engage in the ministry God has called you to so that you can live beyond yourself. All the things that we offer, all the things that we, we try and help you get involved in are not burdens or extracurricular activities, but these are things that we're saying God has called you to full-time ministry. And we want to come alongside you and help you live in that. Because if your Christianity is simply coming to church and I'm going to learn a little more about God and hopefully I'll become a, a better person. No, no, no. God has called you to something greater than that. He's called you to live beyond yourself and make a difference in the world and make a difference in people's lives. And you have the power to do it. You have the potential within you to do that. So every Christian is involved in full-time ministry. But I remember the day that I decided to go into full-time ministry as a career. Like, this is going to be my occupation. This is going to be my job. This is what I was going to get paid to do. And I just thought, this is so awesome. How great is it that I get to work in a church filled with Christians who love Jesus? This is going to be amazing. 
Because my workplace is an environment with people who are loving and caring and kind and compassionate and forgiving. I'm giving my I get paid to do this. I'm going to get a chance to work with people who are going to see the sacrifice that I'm making. All I want to do is invest in people. All I want to do is help people. And I'm sure the people of the church will see that. And they're going to pray for me. And they're going to appreciate the sacrifice I made. And everybody's going to love me. How great is it that I get to work in church? And then I started working in a church. And I met some of the meanest, nastiest, ego-driven, power-hungry, non-believing the best Christians I've ever met. And I was hurt by it. I've seen how other people were hurt by it. I've experienced the pain of it. I've seen the sideways energy and the drama and the gossip that takes place. And I just thought, what did I get myself into? And that's why I knew when I was going to launch this church and I was going to lead this church, I knew that the foundation of our DNA had to be this value. We believe the best. Because I've been in some churches that haven't. I've been around some people that haven't. Now, I want to be fair to Christians, and I need you to understand if you've been hurt in a church, if you've been hurt by a Christian, here's what you need to understand. Christians don't have it all together. We're not perfect, and I know that because I'm a Christian, and I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. But that's what I was expecting. So I'm in a church environment, and what I needed to realize and understand is that the people I was around, the people who come to the church I was a part of. The people who come to this church are broken, messed up, jacked up people who need grace. And um, if you've been hurt, you just need to understand it's not Christians who did that. That's a broken person who needs Jesus that did that. So don't blame the church. Don't blame Christians. Don't blame God for that. Just realize it's broken, jacked up people who need Jesus just like you do. And give them grace met too many people who refuse to believe the best and get offended and write somebody off. And I just knew in launching and leading this church, I needed to lead a church where I was leading broken, jacked up, messed up people just like me to a place where we said we are going to believe the best. That's just who we are. So if you're part of this church, welcome. We believe the best. You may not, but we're helping you get there. We believe the best. We don't always get it right, and when we don't always get it right, that's when we say, I'm sorry. And we say, I accept your apology, because we believe the best. So I knew that this needed to be a guiding value for me uh, in leading this church, and this is what I wanted to lead you to, because again, I've just seen the aftermath of what's taken place when people don't believe the best. You've seen it in your own life, and, and, and assuming the worst is the opposite of believing the best. Assuming the worst is a culture killer. Right? I mean, it happens in your job, it happens in your family, it happens with your friendships. You've experienced when people assume the worst and it kills culture. And I just figure if there's any place where people are, are journeying towards believing the best, it should be the church. And so that's who we are and that's where we're headed. And what I want to do today is I want to give you some tools and a mindset that's going to help you embrace this value and begin to live it out even more in your life. But first, I, I want us to see the consequences of what takes place when we refuse to believe the best. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to 2 Samuel chapter 10. One we'll of the words for on the screen as well. You can even follow along in the Bible app uh, as we put all the, the passages there and uh, notes as well. But uh, 2 Samuel chapter 10, what we're going to read 
um, is in the history of Israel. <clears throat> so if you're wondering, um, if you're new to the Bible or unfamiliar with it, First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles in the Old Testament are the books of history uh, in the Old Testament. So this is the history of Israel. And what we're going to read in Second Samuel chapter 10 takes place during the reign of King David. David was the greatest king of the history of Israel. And here's where it picks up. It says, in the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanan succeeded him as king. David thought, well, I'll show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. And when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite commanders said to Hanan their lord, do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanan seized David's envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks, and then sent them away. And when David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. Yeah, I would be too. And the king said, Stay at Jericho till your beards have grown back, and then come back. When the Ammonites realized they had become obnoxious to David, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rehob and Zobah, as well as the king of Maacah, with 1,000 men and also 12,000 men from Tob. And now skip down to verse 17. It says, When David was told of this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Helam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him. But they fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobak, the commander of the army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals of Hadadezer saw that they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. Now this escalates quickly, right? I mean, King David hears that Hanan's father dies, so he sends some envoys to express his sympathy. Hey, sorry about your dad. Heard about it. I just, just want to express my sympathy. Hanan receives the envoys, and then he gets some bad information from his advisors. So what Hanan does is he assumes the worst. They're not here to express sympathy. They're here to overthrow the city. So that leads him to shave beards and expose butts. And then after this, David, he's upset, rightly so. But Hanan doesn't believe the best even in this situation. He's already assumed the worst. And rather than going to David and saying, hey, I'm so sorry. I, I messed up. You know, I didn't know what your intentions were. I should have asked. I should have found out because I had some doubts. And so I should have asked. And, and I'm so sorry. I messed up. Rather than doing that, Hanan, because he's already assuming the worst, goes on and hires another nation to fight for him. The Arameans come in. They fight against Israel. Israel kills 40,000 of them. And now the Arameans, a nation that had nothing to do with any of this, is subject to Israel. All because one guy refused to believe the best. Do you see the consequences there? One guy chose to assume the worst instead of believe the best. And it led to 40,000 people being killed. It led to a nation that had nothing to do with it now being subjected to Israel. Those are some deep consequences because somebody refused to believe the best. 
And you've experienced those consequences, haven't you, in your own life? And I'm not saying 40,000 people died because you refuse to believe the best, but you've experienced these consequences of not believing the best. I mean, somebody said something to you, or they didn't say something to you. Somebody texted you, they posted something, and it seemed like it was aimed at you. Uh, You expected something from somebody, they expected something from you. You heard something from somebody. I mean, whatever it is, and you didn't have all the information. Because they sent you a text message, and you couldn't read tone of voice, and you couldn't read body language into that. So there's some missing information there, and you had to fill that information in. And whatever we fill the information in with is, is based on all kinds of different things. Maybe you were going through something difficult that day. Somebody sent you that text, and you read negativity into the tone. So you responded negatively. Or maybe you just didn't get enough sleep. Or maybe you didn't get enough to eat. So you're hangry, and you read into what they said. Or somebody posts something. And the timing of it just seems weird to you because it's like, well, we had this conversation and they know I think this about this, so this must be about me. And then you confront them. Or I heard that somebody said something to me and there's some missing information because it passed from this person to this person, so it must mean that you think this. So I'm going to fill in this information. And we fill in this information with false information. And that can lead us to assume the worst. So then we respond, or sometimes somebody says something or does something or doesn't do something, and based on our past interactions with them, we formed opinions and views about them. So maybe we formed some bitterness, some resentment. So now that they did this, I see all that through the lens of bitterness and resentment. So you must have meant it this way. And we jump to some conclusions, and then we respond. And when we respond, it leads to an argument. It leads to a fight. It leads to the silent treatment. Maybe you've assumed the worst before and the consequences led to you cutting off a relationship or it led to more frustration in future interactions. It led to you teaming up with other people against that person. It led to gossip. It led to you leaving that church and going to that church and now coming to this church. It led you and your spouse uh, to shouting at one another and cussing at each other or just shutting down and withdrawing from one another. See, most likely, because we haven't believed the best in certain situations, sure, it hasn't led to 40,000 people being killed, but it has led to some consequences. And we've been perpetrators of this, haven't we? You've assumed the worst in your life. I've assumed the worst in my life. We've been perpetrators. But we've also been victims, haven't we? Haven't you had people assume the worst about you? I mean, I didn't mean it that way. No, 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 no. That, that's not what that text means. No, listen. Why didn't you just call me and ask the question? Wait, I, no, no, no. You've been a victim of this. You've had people assume the worst about you. How'd you feel? See, we've been perpetrators and victims of this. We know both sides. And we're very familiar with the consequences of not believing the best. So I just want to ask you, who's not your friend anymore? Because someone at some point in the situation didn't believe the best. What jobs have you quit? Because at some point, someone in the situation didn't believe the best. What relationships have ended because at some point someone in the situation didn't believe the best? What relationships are strained right now in your life because at some point someone in the situation didn't believe the best? 
What are some of the consequences that you're living in right now, some of the consequences you've experienced because somebody jumped to a conclusion that was founded in fiction and they didn't ask more questions and believe the best? See, we've all faced the consequences of not believing the best. It's caused hurt and pain and drama and sideways energy in our life. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of it. I wanna change. I wanna be different. I wanna see different outcomes in my life. So how do we believe the best? Glad you asked. I'm gonna tell you how we believe the best. Now listen, believing the best is really simple, but it's really hard to do. Believing the best is really simple, but it's really hard to do. Here's how we believe the best. It's all about managing the gap. Here's, here's what I mean. In our life, we have uh, things that we expect. This is what I expect. And then we have things that we experience. So I expect this, but I experienced this. What I experienced is not what I expected. You said you were gonna deliver on the project, you didn't deliver on the project. I expected you to deliver on the project, you didn't, right? I, I, I got a text message and I expected sympathy for what I'm going through. I got a text message and I expected for you to ask me about how my day was before asking me about did I do something. And so that's what I was expecting. But when you sent the text message, you didn't ask me about my day first. So you don't care about me, you just care about what I do. This is what I experience. My expectation does not meet my experience, and so now there's a gap. Believing the best is all about gap management. What do I do in the gap? Look at Hanan's situation. Hanan um, did not expect for anyone to show sympathy for the loss of his father. He didn't expect it. Because if he did expect it, when David shows sympathy, this is what Hanan experiences, when David shows sympathy, if what Hanan expected matched up with what he experienced, there is no gap. There's gratitude. There's thank you. There's I appreciate that. You, you, what I experience is the same thing as what I expected, so there is no gap. But when what I expect is different from what I experience, there's now a gap. So Hanan didn't expect anybody to show sympathy what he experienced was David's sympathy. There's a gap that's created. And the same would have been true, follow me, is if Hanan expected someone to show sympathy and nobody showed sympathy. There's a gap that's created. Well, I was expecting somebody would say something because my dad died and nobody said anything. My experience is nobody, so now there's a gap. What do I do with the gap? What do I do with the gap? Whether I believe the best or assume the worst is dependent on what I do with the gap. What do I fill it in with? So for Hanan, I don't expect anybody to show sympathy. David showed sympathy. There's a gap. What does Hanan do? He fills the gap with fear. He fills the gap with paranoia. He fills the gap with insecurity. So it leads him to jump to a false conclusion, assuming the worst. Oh, he, he must not, I didn't expect anybody to show sympathy. This caught me off guard. He showed sympathy. He, he must be coming to overthrow the kingdom. That's, that's, what it, that's what he chooses to fill the gap with. How could Hanan flip it? He could say, I didn't expect anyone to show sympathy. David showed sympathy. He could fill the gap with 
appreciation. He could fill the gap with gratitude. He, he could fill the gap with security. I'm strong enough in my sense as king of this area that I can hold this city down. And so in light of that, uh, I didn't expect sympathy, but I got sympathy. So David, thank you so much. It's that simple. What you fill the gap with will determine if you believe the best or assume the worst. Anytime your expectation and experience is different, you have to choose, I'm going to believe the best in this situation. That's how we believe the best. Gap management. And I could end with that. I mean, it's that simple. Just manage the gap well. That's all you got to do. Manage the gap well. Choose to believe the best in the gap. But it's also not that simple either. Because looking back at 2 Samuel chapter 10, it, it, it's easy to look and say, Hanan, you're an idiot. Why, why did you assume the worst? I mean, and if nothing else, Hanan could have just asked, hey, David, I didn't expect this. Thank you. Are you trying to overthrow me? <laughs> he could have asked, and David could have lied. I, I don't know. But maybe Hanan's response wasn't because he assumed the worst. Maybe he was just trying to be wise. Here's what I mean. If you look back in 2 Samuel chapter 5, you'll see that David becomes king of Israel. The first thing David does when he becomes king of Israel is he overthrows Jerusalem. He conquers Jerusalem. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 8, David goes to war with the Moabites and he conquers them. He goes to war with the Edomites, he conquers them. He goes to war with the Arameans, he conquers them. He goes to war with the, the Ammonites and he conquers them. So the Ammonites, the people whom Hanan is king of, are already conquered by David. So Hanan may be thinking, well, this is just his track record. I mean, he's conquered these other people. He's conquered these other cities. He conquered us. So maybe he's coming to the city to overthrow me. I don't know. And some fear and paranoia start to creep up. You know how you best overcome fear and paranoia? Just get clarity. Just ask about it. Just, just live in security. And, 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 and ask about it. So maybe Hanan is looking and he's saying, well, David has this track record, and I didn't expect this, but this is what I experienced. There's this gap. Oh, I don't really know. And then he has to weigh his, the consequences of his actions. If I respond this way, here's what will happen. If I don't respond this way, here's what will happen. See, gap management is tough. Gap management is difficult. But I want to let you know before I move on and, and, and give you a way to resolve this, I want to let you know that gap management doesn't give you a license to be stupid, okay? Because I've met some people as, who, who have misunderstood this value that we have, and so I want to be as clear as I can. When it comes to believing the best, believing the best is not a license for stupidity, let me, let me read a verse to you that, that you got to memorize. you got to memorize. you got to memorize. It's, it's Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. It says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Here's what this means. If you know that the dog is going to come back to lick up what it threw up, because you've seen it again and again, believing the best is not saying... Maybe he won't do it this time. No, that's stupid. Because you've seen the track record. As a, full, as a dog returns to his vomit, so, vomit, so full repeats his folly. What it's saying is that 
If there's a track record there, believing the best is not hoping and praying. Maybe it won't happen again. Like if they constantly don't deliver on the project, believing the best is not saying, maybe they'll deliver this time. No, that's stupid. Because they haven't done it before. Why would they do it again? Right? Well, we're, we're dating, and I'm seeing some of these red flags with him, and I don't know, I really love him, and maybe if we get married, things will be better. No, that's stupid. Because those things are going to get worse. Because now you're trapped. <laughs> but those things are going to get worse. Believing the best is not being an idiot. Believing the best is not being stupid. Believing the best is not being a doormat and letting people walk over you. Understand that. So if there's a trend, if there's a pattern, if there's a reputation, if there's some red flags there, you can still believe the best, but you also got to step into that situation and say there need to be some boundaries. There need to be some things that I'm going to set up so that this changes. There needs to be coaching. Hey, I've noticed this is going on. What can we do to change the trajectory of this? Believing the best is not sitting back passively and just hoping and praying everything changes in light of the evidence that I have. So how does Hanan believe the best in this? Hey, David, I, I've noticed you've conquered all these different places. You sent these envoys. Can you just help me understand, like, what are your intentions there? I just, I just, I'm looking for clarity because I'm, I'm wondering, there's some gaps here, and I want to fill them in the right way. The way that we believe the best when we don't have all the information is simply asking more questions. How should I approach that adult leader in my student ministry? I should have gone to him and said, hey, this person said that they saw you hugging this teenage girl. Can you help me understand what was going on there? And then I let him explain, oh, that's my niece. Okay, cool, no problem. That's it. Situation cleared up because I just asked more questions. So the question is, what do you do in the gap? When there's a gap, what do I do with that? And so... Um, your wife says something in a tone of voice that you didn't like. There's a gap. So what do I do with that? Somebody says they're going to do something, and they don't do it. My expectation and experience are not the same. There's a gap. What do I do with that? When, when you're expecting something, and the experience is not that, there's a gap. So what do I do with that? Here's what you do with the gap. And it's advice that was given us 2,000 years ago by James, the brother of Jesus. And this is a verse you should memorize as well. James chapter 1, verse 19. Here's what James says. When there's a gap and you're wondering, what do I do with that? Here it is. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. There's a gap. What do I do with that? Be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. That's what I'm going to do. Because here's what I found. Every time I've assumed the worst, I've done the opposite of that verse. I was slow to listen. I was quick to become angry, and I was quick to speak. But when there's a gap, if I'm going to believe the best, i got to back up, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If you put that into practice in your marriage, how would things change? If you put this verse in your workplace, like if you put it into practice in your workplace, how would things change? If we just lived out this simple verse, be slow to speak, slow to become angry, be quick to listen, 
How would things change in your life? So there's a gap. I expect something. I experience something else. There's a gap. What do I do with that? James 1.19. That's what I do. That's it. That's all I got for you. Hope it helps. But, but here's why we do it. Here's why, that's how we do it, but here's why we do it. Because believing the best boils down to giving grace. Believing the best boils down to giving grace, and grace is when I receive the opposite of what I deserve. Grace is when I get the opposite of what I deserve. I don't know about you, but I need grace. I need grace. I need forgiveness. I want people to judge me based on my intentions and not my actions. You want people to judge you based on your intentions and not your actions. I need grace in my life. And the great and amazing thing to me is that God is the one who first gave us grace. See, the scriptures explain uh, that while we were still Christ's enemies, he died for us. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God looked down on you. He looked down on me, and he said, I see the potential in you. See, there's this expectation that I have of you that you would be perfect, that you would get it right. But what I'm experiencing with you is far from that. There's a gap. But I'm going to send my son to hang on a cross to bridge the gap. I'm going to send my son to be a sacrifice for you. So that even though you aren't perfect like I expect, his perfection will cover you. Even though you aren't holy like I expect, his holiness will cover you. Even though you don't get it right all the time like I expect, the fact that Jesus always got it right will cover you. I will send my son to be the bridge between my expectation and experience, and that's grace. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.